on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. And we're back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Fertel. I'm Aida Osman, and I'm feeling aggressively festive. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Oh, yeah? What festive things are happening over there? Besides the fact that you're wearing a Keep It sweater right now, so I'm yes, I, filled with the holiday endorphins. I am wearing the Keep It festive merch that we have, and also um, I've just been singing Mariah Carey songs all morning. Like, I'm very happy about Christmas. Ira has a tree behind him. It, guys, it's a great morning. It's a great morning. I do have a tree. We, I got a tree yesterday. Girl, where, where'd you get that from? This place called Mr. Green Tree in LA. Mm. Oh, is this, it's a real tree. It's a real tree. It's where Favreau and Emily got their tree. Oh. You know, it's, it's cute. Yeah. That's so sweet. I did not go to the lot. I ordered it online. It smells like pine. I do have to say, a, a real tree does something to me psychically. I really enjoy the smell of a real Christmas tree. And I'm not like a, a super Christmas zealot or anything, but... Something about a real tree speaks to me. This is making me want to get a tree. They can be soothing, you know? I love a soothing Christmas moment. I'm used to celebrating Christmas under the cover of, like, just night. Because my mother is Muslim, so I wasn't allowed to have any Christmas things in the house. But I was a rebel. <laughs> so I had my little mini tree in my bedroom, and she could do nothing about it. Wow, is that true? There was, like, some covert Christmas yeah. thing? Yeah, yeah, I had to hide it. I had to hide it. Oh, wow. That's that's so beautiful. Oh my God! You're like um, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> there's no because there's no there's no Hollywood reference. There's no movie reference, and we should just make it small Muslim girl <laughs> hiding and celebrating Christmas. I eat a secret Christmas. Yes. We can get Blue Ivy Carter to narrate it. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas love. I love that. I love that. I well, maybe love if that. Mariah had had like a you know. Muslim holiday album, we, you know, you wouldn't have to do this, but all right. Thank you. I believe it's Thank on you. her, ultimately. Well, she had a Jew in her um, Christmas special, Billy Eichner. That she did. Billy so, Eichner, prominently. She loves, maybe maybe, maybe next, it's Aida. Yeah, or Ariana Grande just transcends all religion, <laughs> so who knows what she is. <laughs> we'll talk about that a bit in our culture section. Um, we're also going to talk about the week that celebrities decided that they have opinions again. You know, I have to tell you, do you know what phrase popped to mind when some of this stuff went down? Very 2018, keep it. These people jumped out a window. <laughs> it went on and on. Uh, I used to say that a lot. <laughs> um, it was very nice to see the celebs who were just making elf on a shelf memes six years too late oh right uh because they were minding their business <laughs> and being quiet <laughs> uh instead of whatever matthew mcconaughey was doing letitia wright <laughs> they've been we're busy talk about all of that <laughs> we're gonna talk about all of that and we'll start off with some good celebrity news by talking about elliot page and also we will be joined by the wonderful allison Bree this week We'll be right back. 
Aida, you know what I am quite excited about? I have a feeling it's the same thing I'm excited about, but what is it, Ira? Our 2021 Keep It desk calendar that people can get at the Crooked store. One of the most beautiful artifacts to have been created and pushed into the market. Everybody needs one. I want seven. (laughs) Maybe we should send one to Dionne Warwick. (laughs) She'll be like, I got your number, hussy. And (laughs) I got your Keep It desk calendar. (laughs) There is a brand new Keep It desk calendar live in the Crooked store. And some of your favorite Keep It moments are beautifully illustrated for each month of 2021 if you want to receive your crooked orders by december 24th for i don't know maybe christmas be sure to order by the 11th check out the keep it desk calendar and more keep it holiday merch at crooked.com slash store go figure like the keep it festive sweater that you're wearing right now exactly it's wonderful it's beautiful i feel like i should be in a bing crosby movie And we're back. Last week, truly while we were recording, is when Elliot Page made his Instagram um, announcement. And um, we felt like we needed time to actually discuss it rather than a throwaway in an episode (laughs) about whatever we talked about last week. Who even remembers? That he did it during our episode, I feel... That he was trying to make us look foolish. Yeah, a personal attack, for sure. He's like, Louis Vertel, dead name me. And there I was. I looked, <laughs> looked like an asshole. You know? <laughs> Tr- truly discussing um, the movies of Elliot Page as it happened. So it was a weird coincidence. Uh, and so now we are here where... Elliot posted his message on Tuesday, and the reaction, of course, was swift and mostly positive and lovely. A lot of people celebrating the Umbrella Academy star, as a lot of articles have been saying, which, all right. (laughs) Almost disrespectful. Almost disrespectful. Been working for 13, 14 years. uh, Did you guys watch Umbrella Academy? I did not. Was that a show in your repertoire? Yeah, it's like, what? (laughs) But, you know, let it happen. But also, I feel like that's been on for six years. Who can tell? I don't know. No, it's very like power on stars. I can't tell where it began or where it ended. You know, stars is the new showtime in that way. Well, currently it's the book of power too, ghost. Okay, well. See, see. I can't even tell if that was an amazing joke. It could just be the truth. It is the truth. It is the see? truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Courtney Kemp, the creator of Power, is this is her Game of Thrones. Oh, all right. All There's right. a lot going on. Also, by the way, Elliot Page. Oscar nominated for a film. We could Juno would set yeah. the scene, I think. There's that. We talk about Juno a lot on this show. Talk about exciting. I mean, <laughs> this is just like I mean, we have a lot of trans actors that are coming more into prominence now, but we don't have a lot of trans men who are acting and of of the same high profile as Elliot Page or trans masculine actors. So this is a huge win for non-binary actors and trans men in Hollywood and honestly just the entire queer community and the world. Very happy to see that Elliot has made their transition and that he's comfortable and feels good now. Uh, I especially loved the caption because <laughs> you know sometimes when when trans people come out or share their story and the conversation gets deflected to something else because they don't care to include black and brown trans people, but Elliot went out of his way to make sure that he was inclusive and it's like there's I have no bad words for Elliot, only love. <laughs> Love and care. You know, Elliot had that show where he was traveling all around the world meeting queer people. So 
figure he knows a bunch. <laughs> also, let's not forget that when Elliot came out as queer in that HRC speech years ago, yeah. I still think that is a landmark in celebrity culture. The fact that he called out, the, used the phrase lying by omission, which truly was like being struck by lightning that an actual celebrity would cop to such a practice. <laughs> I truly think if you read the text of that and this new Instagram caption, it is clear we're in the presence of someone who is a Mensa level queer celebrity. We just sure. we we need to keep this this brain uh, prominent and uh, included and listened to. Yeah. Uh, it's also important to note that uh, we talked about the accidental dead naming because Lewis was talking about Elliot's movies prior to us seeing the announcement. Um, literally as we're recording, it is so easy to write an article about Elliot's announcement without having to mention his former name at all and yet and yet (laughs) (laughs) so many articles did that and so many people on social media like felt the need to bring it up as if we don't know what he looks like right it's very distinct elliot has always looked like ash wandering around with pikachu Exactly. Uh, you know, always, always, always a cat. Always, yeah. always, always seems like this little backpack and a pokeball yeah. inside. So we we get it. We get who it is. I can't tell how caught up the world is on the dead naming conversation, though, because I still feel like, for example, Caitlyn Jenner's former name comes up a lot. As in, oh, you know, when Caitlyn used to be blank, you know. Uh-huh. So I, I feel like we're maybe more behind on that than we think. Yeah, I mean, even I sometimes when I'm talking about it, I'm like, oh, I can't say used to be, and I have to make sure that I'm talking about, like, you you do have to be mindful and aware. Um, I was going to say my favorite thing about Elliot, though, was that he was always pushing gender boundaries, regardless of being, you know, now having just come out um, as trans. Even I remember a young Aida watching Juno and seeing, you know, Elliot's performance as a young girl who presented pretty masculine, but was dealing with this very like low gloss situation of being pregnant and you know <laughs> clearly being a queer person, at least little Aida picked up on that while watching Juno. And then also their role in Inception, another another different version of femininity that I hadn't seen. You know who was watching Inception last night? Janelle Monet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> did you posting about it? Uh, she deleted her Instagram, <laughs> but um, Janelle Monet at one point last night was watching Inception, and you can look at um, her Instagram <laughs> stories and see that she was, um, you know, still watching it because the the clips of her recording it from the television are there, but she deleted a post that she wrote that said, I need the Nolan brothers, yes, you and Christopher and Jonathan, to stay at my house for a long amount of time and we discuss creative ideas we want to write. (laughs) We write them, we develop them, we film them, rinse and repeat. I'll even let your families come and visit. I have twin beds, I have a Peloton and an orange tree. Food for thought. Okay, what the Janelle. fuck? Oh Janelle. my god. <laughs> That's Arch Girl. even for the Arch Android. Yes. Girl, what? <laughs> so what? So you can make a movie with him and then he, it goes to HBO Max and he gets really pissed off. Like what? What, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, Janelle. Uh, yes, this was written right after Christopher Nolan did his... Um, 95 theses about <laughs> Warner Brothers and how disrespectful it is to the 
film industry. The, listen, it's not a year unless um, a prominent film director is attacking streaming. God, I love watching that their their fall from grace. I love watching the sanity unravel. <laughs> Uh, and I mean, we've discussed this before, you know, like the idea of how streaming isn't going to kill cinema. Um, but at this point, I feel like it's very helpful to be releasing movies that people made, that people want to see <laughs> into theaters. And unfortunately, Christopher Nolan, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So I don't know what you expect. Nobody saw Tenet. Right. <laughs> Or, or like they were so excited to see it, and then by the time it was over, they were like, "Maybe we don't need movies at all." Um, <laughs> by the way, how is HBO Max allegedly failing when I watch the Prime of Miss Jean Brody every day on it? I am putting in the hours. You're telling me I'm not saving this shit? To be fair, I watch HBO Max a lot, but I'm also watching a lot of shows that are HBO. Right. Mm. Wait, is that is? Do they not want you to do that? I, well, I wonder if there's like a different algorithm that tells you what people are watching. I mean, I watched the Euphoria special, and that was amazing. Oh, girl. Uh, from Zendaya and Coleman, like, bringing me to tears. But, you know, I'm also watching, um, well, Industry is HBO. I just finished Industry. That was a wonderful show. Girl, I just started this white mess. It is just white after mess. The un- after the undoing, more <laughs> prestige trash. But there is a lot of straight British sex and drugs and... A lot of cum shots. A lot. Oh, that's what I heard, uh, which yeah. I have missed since the movie Weekend, which had among the more prominent cum shots in queer cinema. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only thing on HBO Max I'm really watching is like, well, 12 Dates of Christmas. Oh, of course. Yes. Okay. That dating show set yeah. at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> which does has, I believe, fine men on it. I've seen some stills of that, right? It does. Most of them are psychotic, but well... They're gay. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. Thank you. You're the next one coming to the HRC for the big speech. (laughs) Well, speaking of popular news that is occurring with trans actors, we do have a recent account of Laverne Cox talking about a transphobic attack that she experienced here in Los Angeles that happened recently. And it also happened the same week as Elliot Page coming out. And I think that was definitely worthy of some conversation how do we feel about that? Well, not great. LeBron <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cox is like the Elvis of the trans community, and still she is facing just disgusting casual behavior from somebody walking near her. So, I mean, I think in a way it's illustrative uh-huh. of how far we have not moved mm-hmm. uh, on their behalf, even though it seems like, you know, I think people like to pretend we're somehow bombarded with information about trans people, but we're not. Mm-hmm. People, like, lovingly remain unenlightened and violent, and uh, uh, the community is constantly in jeopardy no matter what they are doing. Before I get into that, Elvis of the trans community, she's shaking her hips and stealing music from <laughs> black people. I'm, I'm saying she's like, at the, in terms of popularity, she's at the top of the mountain. I'm not... I'm not. <laughs> Give me that Negro music. <laughs> I'm not saying oh, she's like uh... singing Suspicious Minds or something. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see it. Yeah, likewise, yeah. I did have the pleasure of seeing her sing The Phantom of the Opera. 
at Ronan Farrow's birthday party oh last year. Oh my God. That sounds like a precious moment. So there's that. Is that on tape anywhere? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but it is important to note that, yes, in the same week that um, we were celebrating Elliot, this was something that happened in, in fucking Griffith Park, you know? And it is just a reminder that um, being famous as a trans person isn't going to protect you, you know? And like as a black trans woman, you know, that's what people see. You know, they don't see your IMDb credit and you're walking through the um, park, even though I do wear mine printed out mm -hmm. on my shirt, um, <laughs> just so people know, you know, I need people to know that I played myself in a Schitt's Creek documentary. That's just something that mm. I lead with. Uh, right. I, <laughs> but, oh, it's incredibly um, endearing. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it is her walking with a friend, you know, and facing this. And um, that's just what we live in. And it's really something that was heightened over the past four years of this administration. And that's why it is important to have people acknowledge trans identities, you know, acknowledge that they are people, acknowledge that they go through a lot of shit that we don't go through, you know. That's why it takes you know, just steps like learning shit about like what dead naming is, you know, like not mentioning yeah. a trans um, person's name before they came to the um, one that they feel best represents them, you know? And it is mm -hmm. something that just makes me <laughs> angrier thinking about Matthew McConaughey this week. Ugh. I guess we'll mention it. Going on Russell Brand's podcast, of all places. <laughs> um, tr tr truly, if you, asked, if you held a gun to my head um, and said, do you want to appear on Joe Rogan's podcast or Russell Brand's, I would jump out the window. <laughs> <laughs> there's a window in this situation. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, there, there, is, there is a window. Not the gun, you know? I still want to survive. It's a first-story window. <laughs> there's a chance of escape. Oh, yeah. A mattress truck is driving by. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, he was on it doing another one of his fireside chats. <laughs> Not since FDR has anyone um, truly gotten to the heart of America's political crises. But he immediately announced himself as a centrist <laughs> but the, the bravery my god if i've been if i've been craving a conscience right now it is uh, you know that hard centrist fighter at america's core that we need to be bringing to the fore i love that uh, he, he said aggressively centrist like i love a man who's vehemently doing nothing i love that <laughs> that's my favorite type of man <laughs> When we say that it's easier for celebrities to do nothing, what we mean is they should all be aggressively centrist. Yep. Yes. Uh, he went on to decry that, one, Hollywood liberals are condescending. Boy. Because they care about black and brown people, because they care about queer people, because they care about uh, health care. Uh, because they care about the environment, um, they are condescending when they tell you that you should um, vote for a side that cares about these things. But then he also went on, because he's centrist, uh, <laughs> to say that the right is delusional and hasn't accepted that Trump has lost. But also the delusion is similar to the delusion that the left felt when Trump won four years ago because they couldn't believe that he'd won. Because that is exactly the same thing. Saying, I can't believe Donald Trump won is the same thing as saying, stop the steal at your grocer at um, Ralph's. <laughs> if your interpretation of America's political situation is, 
there's a little bit of a tone issue on that side, and I just can't figure out what their problem is. Is it possible you aren't paying attention at all? Mm-mm. Who Like, you're not informing anybody by suggesting that somebody somewhere is condescending. First of all, be specific. Be, like, quote-unquote, brave enough to identify who is saying the bad things, not just all of them all together. That would be kind of remarkable, right? If literally (laughs) everybody on one side of the quote-unquote aisle acted one particular way towards the other side. It's incredibly glib, and I don't know who he thought he was giving voice to other than... Himself? Yeah. He's an actor who appeals broadly to a, a wide American audience. And I feel like it was a cheap attempt to say, I want to please all of my fans at once right now. And that was his way of doing it. So it's just extra craven. And I, I found out about it just from like reading headlines and starting to get into that news. And it says Matthew McConaughey critiques Hollywood elite. It's like, oh, they, did you look in a mirror and yell at yourself? Like Issa Rae <laughs> style? Did you text your friends in a group <laughs> chat? Because I don't, I just frankly don't understand like he smokes a lot of weed Aida too much he smokes a lot of weed peyote whatever that and the suit in Interstellar was so tight maybe like it was lacking oxygen he's still recovering he hangs out on the beach he's he's not an elite because like he likes to surf oh yes cleared up 100% you know he's up. one of the people he's one of the people he's gotten seaweed in his hair before <laughs> he doesn't use hair products he's 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 not an elite <laughs> He's an Oscar winner, but he doesn't really care. <laughs> uh, you can't, like, yes, we've seen him um, showing up to the Oscars in, like, a tuxedo, and he does photo shoots, and he has a shit ton of money, but there is nothing elite about him, you know? It reminds me of the fact that during an interview recently, um, like a few weeks ago with Hugh Hewitt, he was asked if he would consider a run for Texas governor or another political office. Do we recall that? And he was like, I don't know, man. I mean, that wouldn't be up to me. It would be up to the people more than it would be me. Look, politics seem to be a broken business to me right now. And when politics redefines its purpose, I could be a hell of a lot more interested. <laughs> that you evolved into a villain from High Noon or something was <laughs> yeah. um, very exciting for me. But um, also, what do you mean it's up to the people? Like, I can't help how liked I am and then I'll run for office? Please no. Please do not judge whether or not you should run for office based on how liked you currently feel. I, I just finished the Reagans on Showtime too, you know? And if, if that was a very good documentary which people should watch even if it did drive home too much in every scene, how much Reagan is like Trump. Um, You know, one of the highlights, you know, where it ends with the Iran-Contra stuff and um, just sort of like letting AIDS destroy um, a community, uh, much like Trump has let coronavirus destroy thousands of people. The end is just sort of like talking about how best for him to have been president because he was an actor, you know, like he can stand there and say his lines, you know, and people liked him. And it is just funny thinking about how that led to a Trump. And we keep thinking, oh, you know, this was the worst version of it. There's no way we could deal with someone doing that again. And then you see celebrities finding a brand new way to (laughs) flirt with politics while thinking about, you know, like people who like them. And it's like, are are we going to go through this every few fucking years? Of course. (laughs) It's just that whole universe of like wondering, could The Rock run for president? Like, why are we doing that? We treat it as some sort of like divine coincidence that a man can be somewhat sensitive seeming while also resembling traditional masculinity. Like, it's like, oh, that's the miracle, you know? And... 
it's not a miracle. It's like the lowest possible bar to clear. Mm. Anyway, the only miracle, we mentioned it before, was Mariah Carey's Christmas special, which was fantastic. Loved it. Loved it. It's insane. But uh, just like Dolly Parton's Christmas special. Um, but I love that these two women who are icons and um, beautiful songwriters and have given us so much joy gave us crazed Christmas specials. Also, watch, I've been watching Mariah interviews recently. She gave, I saw one clip in particular where she talks about Billy Eichner, who's in the special with her. She appears to be having the time of her life. There's really just an energy coming off of Mariah right now that is very infectious. I think the reception of that book really like added a zing to her stuff, which is so exciting to see. Mm-hmm. She's crossed over from that point where you know we've gone through so many iterations of what we think of Mariah. And I think now we're in a um, wise elder phase, but not that much elder not that much elder. Yeah, she's in the maternal fairy godmother. <laughs> Only she can top herself. That Oh Santa track with Jennifer Hudson and Ariana Grande is groundbreaking. Jennifer Hudson looked amazing. Ariana Grande showed the left side of her face. <laughs> a lot of things, a lot of records have been broken. Also, Jennifer Hudson is no slouch on that song. Like She, oh, she deserves uh-huh. a little bit more credit than I feel she's getting. I've seen a lot of memed clips of Ariana and Mariah harmonizing their whistle registers, which is like a magical scene from the Twilight Bark and 101 Dalmatians <laughs> yeah. that I think we should all cherish together. The collab of yeah. the century. Yeah, but no, Jennifer came to slay, and she also looked amazing in that. Oh my God. Like, maybe better than even Mariah. I know, I didn't want to say it. That was a, I mean, the, the, the green dress was, was everything, and it was cinched to the gods. Everybody was giving waste. And she just has that effortless, like, singing, you know? Like, whenever she's mm-hmm. singing, it's just like effortlessly like, yeah, that's right, I'm great. Even even though it it doesn't come across as like cocky, lest you forget. Right, she casually has a ton of personality when she sings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And lastly, before we wrap this up, I do just want to thank Gwen Stefani for releasing a song that was not another Christmas song. True, and one that is actually good. Uh, <laughs> I disagree. I don't think it's good, but that's interesting. I I think that I wasn't embarrassed by it, which is all I can ask for. You know, I just want her to be geo free, right? But she's not GOP free, so you have to worry about that with Blake Shelton. But I was gonna say, um, I jumped off the Stefani boat after the the Shelton marriage, so uh, yeah. it's kind of cool that she returned to her ska roots on that song. It's called "Let Me Reintroduce Myself." That said. The lyrics of I'm the original, original me. Gwen Stefani was never exactly coruscating originality with what she did. I feel like it's a little bit giving herself too much credit there. But by the way, recently somebody posted a clip that is also kind of reggae influenced by a white woman that I think really holds up. Ira, I don't know if you know Megan Trainer? You know, it is not. The Calypso uh, Queen. <laughs> <laughs> um why by Carly Simon from 1982 produced by Niall Rogers Mm. it is not a hit there's like a a 12 inch version that's excellent too listen to this and tell me if it changes your day I'm curious okay I will report back assignments right, good assignments over Christmas break (laughs) and we will also be right back with Allison Brie (laughs) see what I did there (laughs) stone pro like Dan Rather Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? 
Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. <laughs> Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. While the rest of us were like pretending to make bread or learn a different language in 2020, <laughs> our guest today has had three movies come out this year with another one on the way. Um, you can currently see her in Hulu's Happiest Season, and you're about to see her in Promising Young Woman. Promising Young Woman is just about that, a promising young woman who recently dropped out of med school and life in general and devoted herself to trolling for would-be rapists in bars for revenge and so much more. And Allison um, plays a character, Madison, who is one of Carrie Mulligan's former classmates. Please welcome Allison Bree to keep it. Hi. Hi. What a great uh, introduction. <laughs> Four movies in a year. Are you Eric Roberts? Like that, what it's, are you? It's, it's actually disturbing. <laughs> Guys, uh, I'm, I'm coming out here to say that I'm Eric Roberts. Um, <laughs> no one's ever known this, and it's a big reveal. Uh, no, you know, I feel like there, there's been an ebb and flow to my career, which is that there are lulls, you know, and then during those years, you know, 2018 would have been the lull year where, like, I hunkered down and wrote a movie with my friend Jeff Baina that's called Horse Girl, and then my husband wrote a movie and, that he directed called The Rental. And it was like, we were so... In 2019, I was very much head down, working, 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 and then it's all coming out this year, and now next mm -hmm. year is going to be, you know, another rebuilding year, uh, mentally and emotionally and globally, uh, but also <laughs> career-wise, I'm sort of like, wow, what a year all these with all these projects coming out, and then come Christmas, that's the last one. Obviously, nothing could be shot this year, so there's nothing left in the can. And although we, I've been writing a lot, this has been, I guess, in a way, 2020 has also been that hunker down year where I wrote another script with my writing partner Jeff Baina. I wrote a script with my husband Dave. So just kind of trying to continue the cycle. Mm -hmm. Has writing always been part of the picture for you? Has that always been something you were going to do for the rest of your career? Not at all. No. Would never have thought to do it. Didn't want to do it. I think actually early in my career, that was the kind of advice that people would always give me and, and all young actors. And now I find myself giving that advice to people. And it used to really 
uh, annoy me because I just didn't have an interest in writing at all. So you know what I mean? When you're like, what else can I do to get my career going? And people are like, you got to create your own content. You got to create your own stuff. I'd be like, oh, I don't want to. Like, so much work. Ideas. <laughs> Ask me the in worst. the thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but truly, I think like, all things in life, you have to come to them in your own time. Nobody can make you do things, right? You have to kind of find your own inspiration and find your own path to the things. Like, I just don't think there would ever be a world where I made myself right. I, it took, you know, a mixture of inspiration, a story I really wanted to tell, a friend that was really easy to work with, and, uh, you know, that that sort of stripped down my insecurities about writing, mixed with a desire to do a different type of work that, that wasn't really kind of coming my way in my career. So it was sort of like kind of had to be a perfect storm for me to finally go like, okay, I do want to write something. Let's give it a shot. And in a way it was great because Horse Girl as a project was just so wonderful. I know we're not here to talk about Horse Girl and most people don't even know what it is. It's a movie. It came out in February. It's on Netflix. So you can still watch it. Um, I wrote it with Jeff Bain, I produced it, and I star in it. So if you're not a fan of mine, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, <laughs> um, but like, it just was very, it was such a special project because the themes are based in my family's uh, history with mental illness and things that are very personal to me. And it just felt very low stakes, honestly. It's such a low budget movie. Um, we were so lucky to partner and do it with Netflix and the Duplass brothers and everybody was really supportive creatively. So that as my first writing venture was really great because there were no like studio expectations or any expectations. And I think we actually set out to make something really unique and kind of weird and not like specifically not for everyone <laughs> versus every other type of work. I feel like that you try to do that. You're like, I just hope everybody watches it and it's a success. <laughs> and this one was much more that sort of kicked off my, my year or my, I don't know, a different part of my career that, that was kind of a reconnection to artistry. Like the reason that I like doing any of this stuff, I guess. Mm -hmm. If there's something I can say, too, about even just meeting you now over the Zoom here, like um, <laughs> who you are just sort of exudes like when you meet you. But I feel like you um, also carry that into each role, even when they're so completely different. You know, I feel like we got a piece of you in Community and then in Glow and even in Happiest Season and then Promising Young Woman, um, which you were fantastic in, um, in Thank your you. two scenes in this. And it's like... You, you're playing sort of a character who is this sort of like, um, you know, uptight, sort of like bitch sort of character, um, awful to carry mulligan, but it's so believable as well. You know, I think that there's, uh, not to ruin anything for people, but there's a seed where like we first meet you and you're, you're at lunch and you're drinking wine and getting drunk and you're like, there's a seed where like you were, thank the waiter who goes by and it feels so you, but it also feels so in character. And I'm just wondering like, what draws you to specific roles, especially since we all really knew you at first um, because of your breakout in community and like were comedy things coming towards you all the time? And did you have a point where you're like, well, I don't wanna be funny. Sure, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think it's been a mixture of things and the way that I choose roles has 
evolved throughout my career and continues to. And there's always like a number of different factors. So it's never one, there's not kind of like one road to like, this is how I choose a role because there are so many facets to every project. Um, also, thank you for saying such nice things. <laughs> That's just lovely um, for me. Uh, so there's like my global career thinking and certainly like what you're saying after community, um, because that was such a hit critically and like with comedy people that sort of exclusively meant that only comedy stuff would come my way, which I actually was surprised at at the time because I was also working on Mad Men at the mm -hmm. same time, which was like such a big drama, but obviously I had a smaller role on that show. Um, but I was kind of like, hello, <laughs> guys, you're, you're forgetting my diverse uh, <laughs> array of roles here. But um, so it did have to be a choice, I think, eventually to say, I don't just want to work in comedy. I really want to stretch myself as an actor. And I didn't always, you know, I've never done stand up. I've never done sketch comedy. So I, so I didn't start my career thinking of myself as a comedic actress. I, that actually, I think, was born doing community. Then for a little while, I wanted to resist it and I wanted to try to do different roles. Then I get kind of bored of resisting it because I actually love comedies. Like, why am I resisting it? Um, ultimately, every choice comes down to the material and the people involved and the role, of course. So it's like, there's all these different tiers. If the role is just like incredible, I don't know. They still, you still have to check a couple other boxes. Cause you're like, is this role amazing? But the movie's going to be terrible. Like, <laughs> which early on, yeah. early on, I was yeah. like, that's fine. I just want to work as long as there's anything in this role that could be fun for me where I can do like, I feel like I can bring something to it. Then I was excited to take that role. And now I think, I think more about the project as a whole and who else is involved and what the experience might feel like and why it's important to me or how I connect to it. And, you know, and at the same time, that also still ebbs and flows. And then that's based on like, well, the last thing I did was this. So now I'm in the mood to flip back the other way and do this. You know, I think that all the movies, well, not all because Happiest Season, but three of the four movies that I have coming out this year are, it's like my year of sort of thriller, <laughs> sort of psychological thrillers and things well, like that. Well, that movie was kind of a thriller if you listen to the internet, Happiest Season. <laughs> <laughs> turned out to be a bit of a yeah. thriller who knew uh, what controversy and, and alignments would uh, would be discovered uh, but I feel I don't know if you guys have felt this way after 2022 but I, I, definitely this year I've been drawn to watching a lot of comedies I'm definitely like feeling a return to comedy and the, the scripts I've written this year have both been comedies because I think we're just like, you know what's fun? Laughing. Remember when we used to do that? Like that's what, that has value, like, <laughs> you know. Um, but this year, I mean, all of these roles, something like Promising a Woman is was so exciting on so many levels. And it's a great example of something like this to talk about because as you said, I'm in two scenes in the movie, but to read the script, it was just so cool. Mm -hmm. And it was very unique. It was so different from anything I had read. I was on the edge of my seat reading it. Then I met with Emerald, the director, and the way she talked about it, it was like one of those things where it just kept getting better and better. Like then the way she talked about it, I was like, oh, I wasn't even thinking about it that way. What? And then I would get to set and like 
even the set design was way crazier and more brilliant than I was imagining. Um, so just to be a small but integral part of that story, I think felt kind of important and like it would it would still have impact and, and to act with Carrie Mulligan was exciting to me. And, and it is fun sometimes to play the bad guy. <laughs> you were just talking about reading that script and I, I'm sure that was so jarring. There's this new, I don't want to call it a new genre because I'm women have been talking about assault stories and sometimes our complicit nature in assault stories for centuries and centuries. But um, how did you feel to be playing a character who wasn't necessarily good and was kind of complicit in something that was really bad? And how did you like bring that, bring that out in the character, in this Madison character? I think it's really important. And one of the things that I love about the script is that everyone's complicit. And it's sort of what Emerald is saying anyway, is that it doesn't actually mean that each of these people are solely responsible. Like no one person in this movie is a villain. In fact, they're all victims of this societal complicity that that we are just now having more of an awareness about, you know? So I think that Madison is an important character because it's important to make the distinction that consent and victim blaming and all of this stuff is not a male-female issue. There are women that are also complicit in that behavior. And even they may have been victims themselves. You know, a lot of things that my character says in that movie is like, it was just happening all the time. It's, it's more a comment on how normalized we've made this behavior in our country. And like, so now everybody's having this epiphany moment about consent and about that kind of behavior um, that's existed for so long and is just like very ingrained in the way that people have lived their lives. So I was happy to, to, to kind of take on that role and also to humanize her. You know, I do, I, I was glad to see that she is one of the characters who gets redemption in the end. You know, to, the other great thing about that character is kind of a tool of showing that growth is a possibility that people actually can maybe take a step back and, and admit that their behavior was bad or, and they're sort of ashamed of it and that they want to kind of learn and grow and change and be different. So that was kind of a good part too. And, and even playing characters that seem despicable, like Madison, like Sloan maybe in Happiest Season, although I, I, I sympathize with Sloan a lot more maybe. Um, <laughs> it, it's just always kind of interesting to me to, to get into a different kind of psychology and look at things from a different perspective and kind of try to understand it and empathize it, even when it seems horrible, to sort of go, I guess if she lived her life like this and certain things happened to her this way, I could see why she thought this and, you know, not defend the character, but understand them and not judge them. One of the times I thought most uh, critically and uh, I guess uh, sympathetically, about you was Betty Gilpin writing about her experience on Glow. We, first of all, we're like deep Betty Gilpin stands here. Anytime she writes anything, I'm like, who is this like insane Crispin Glover level weird person (laughs) who is so funny and rad. Um, But reading about her experience on the show, she really talked about how you were kind of this hub person who established a tone, made sure did her best to make sure that everybody felt heard. And I was wondering, like, how did you become that person who, like, knew how to act on a TV set in a way that enabled everybody else seemingly to do their very best work? Like, did it take years of experience in TV to be that kind of reliable person? Probably. 
Um, I, I, I love Betty so much. I've never heard her compared to Crispin Glover. Oh, yeah. I'm correct. Please trust me on this. Yes. <laughs> but I appreciate the comparison. I don't disagree. Um, she is she is brilliant. And, and one of the things, you know, one of the reasons why Glow was so special to me, I think, is, is the friendship that I developed with Betty and, and getting to work with her. When I took the role, what I took, what I fought for and got the role in Glow, I think I really thought of this position of being number one on the call sheet as a real great responsibility. And like, not just about like, oh, it's my opportunity to be a star, um, but like that there, that there is a real responsibility that comes with that position in terms of modeling the behavior that you want to see in others on a set. And I do think that my experience in, in working on Mad Men and Community, you know, we did seven seasons of Mad Men, and six seasons of community. And again, only because I was on community so much more, I would say that Joel McHale was just this great example to me of a really good leader. He's a really good person. I think that he did that for us where, he, you know, that could sometimes be a really chaotic set community. It was, the show was always like getting canceled, getting put back on the air. Uh, there's a lot going on. And a lot of us, saw the, you know, the rest of the cast, I mean, I, I can only speak for myself, I guess, is that I would never feel like it was my place to ask questions <laughs> of our showrunner or of the, you know, staff at NBC. It felt so far away from like my right as an actor to know those things. And Joel was kind of this great presence of being like, well, I can ask those questions. I'm the star of the show. Like, you know, what are your concerns? Let me kind of take care of you and have this cast solidarity. So I really wanted to do that I think on the set of Glow and and it was very easy because the women on Glow were incredible women and it, we we also had this luxury of of we've all I've, I've talked at length about our wrestling training that we got to do but you know even in season one it was this great equalizer of a month of wrestling training with the other actresses that you're going to be on this show with it was kind of like a really great way to meet everyone it was this great equalizer something none of us knew how to do, except for Kia Stevens, who's a pro wrestler. Um, and she couldn't have been more gracious and patient and lovely with us. But it was like a really nice way for us to all bond and learn how to take care of each other and be really respectful of one another and be on this like equal playing field before going into the acting world. And I think, so it's a mix of like me having a great experience with my number ones on, on Mad Men and Community amidst like a lot of chaos um, and, and also just trying to think of like, what's the kind of set that I, that I would want to be on where everyone's like having a great time and being respectful and nice to each other. <laughs> it seems like mm -hmm. we got a pretty great job. So if we can't like lead with kindness, what's the point? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that was really such a, um, special show, you know, um, I really enjoyed it from being a wrestling fan um, when I was younger to loving like um, 80s stuff and so Barbara's, <laughs> you know, like have yeah. friends who worked on it, Marquita and um, Rachel, Aww. you know, and so like yeah. really just enjoyed like how much they loved it and um, yeah. gonna miss that relationship between you and Betty. We're gonna see something else between you two. Oh yeah, I know. I would love that. Oh yeah. I'm, keep, I'm keeping my eye out for, for you know, other work mm -hmm. I could do with Betty because that's the most fun I've had acting opposite anyone. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, 
One thing I want to ask too about Promising Young Woman is that uh, you talked about working with Emerald and um, I yes. was explain so this woman to us. Explain I was Emerald. So shocked. Fennel. Yes. So shocked when I found out like, wait, sh- Camila from The Crown is like yes. writing and directing and producing this movie. Can she do everything? <laughs> it turns out she can. Uh, <laughs> so we're all a little jealous. No. Um, she's incredible. Yeah, I, you know, again, so she wrote this script, which is like so wild. The script itself, like I said, I mean, you feel it in the movie because it's because it's all her vision. So she got to mm-hmm. take it from the page to the screen. Um, but it was just as exciting to read it as to watch it. And I got to watch a couple of her short films that she had directed as well. And they all have this real dark, pervasive sense of humor. Um, And she definitely has infused Promising Young Woman with that as well. And as a director, she was just fantastic. She was so direct and self-assured and succinct. I think there was not unnecessary direction for no reason. It didn't feel like she had something to prove, which is kind of shocking for any first-time director. You know, she seemed at ease and confident and she was like eight months pregnant or something. Maybe not eight months, but she was very (laughs) pregnant (laughs) while shooting it and didn't see, you know, and just still had just tons of Mm. energy and... And had fun with it. I think, you know, that's another thing that I love about the movie as we were talking earlier about, um, you know, there being a lot more projects being made now, I guess, dealing with these types of subject matters and now that we're talking about this stuff more. And um, I like that Emerald's approach is very entertaining and that it has that dark sense of humor and it sort of like makes it easier to consume and hopefully prompts more discussion because it's like fun to watch, even though the subject matter is very dark. I don't think things need to be one or the other. It's not um, school, you know, it's like, uh, it's entertainment. (laughs) It's entertainment. We can still make something that's about something really important and obviously very serious. But like life, all things have a mix of, of every type of emotion and the, the human experience, right, has a little bit of all of that stuff. And I feel like, I don't know, it's like, especially a movie like this, it's like you should have maybe some complicated feelings coming out of it. Like, I don't mind if someone mm-hmm. feels like, ooh, should I, maybe I shouldn't have laughed just then. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we all did. Why? Let's talk about it. You know, hopefully. It's been a while since I've seen a film that really makes you um, feel for characters and then will completely change how you think about them oh in scenes God. and it works yeah yeah it's mm-hmm. an yeah. r.i.p bo burnham's character for me not really <laughs> that one moment at the end of their conversation i just had to scrape my jaw off the floor like i was so yeah. heartbroken but it yeah. made sense totally. yeah. Well, this is what's brilliant too about the way that emerald cast the movie right it's a lot of comedy people it's mm-hmm. a lot of people that you feel audiences will feel really safe with, right? Where you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I know these guys. They're all lovable goofs. Wait, what are they doing? Wait, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, and again, it just speaks to like how complicated the issue is. And like in real life, there aren't just like these like ultimate, I mean, there are ultimate scary villains, of course. But there are also a lot of people 
who seem like nice guys who make bad decisions and that's not okay. You know, like the, it's, mm -hmm. it's a much more nuanced when you, you take the most villainous aspect out of it. There's a version of this that you look at and, and everyone can say definitively, oh, well, this person's right and this person's wrong and this person's bad and this person's good. And Emerald is sort of like, what about all these other cases that are a little bit more confusing and a little bit more muddled and where does the conversation go then? Mm -hmm. I do have one more light, well, maybe harder question. Uh, if you were friends with Kristen Stewart in Happiest Season, would you tell her to leave Mackenzie Davis? <laughs> Guys, look, I'm glad you asked me this question because I have a lot of sympathy for Mackenzie Davis's character in that movie. And I know she makes a lot of bad decisions. Everybody, it's sort of like I said at the start of this interview that people have to do things in their own time. And you know, there's a great scene in the movie where Dan Levy is talking to Kristen Stewart's character and, and saying, you know, just because she's not ready to come out right now doesn't mean she doesn't love you. So ultimately, I do think that Harper, Mackenzie Davis's character, gets that redemption. She does muster the courage. And I think that she does deserve to be with Kristen Stewart. But yeah, I'd probably be like, girl, get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> but I love them. I love them all. Come on. I love all the characters in that movie. <laughs> uh, thank you again. This was so oh, fun. Thanks, you guys. This really was fun. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. On Thursday, Black Panther and a small axe actress, Letitia Wright, tweeted a 69-minute video which called into question the legitimacy of the COVID vaccine that the world is literally dying to take. And by the weekend, all her social media accounts were deleted in response to the backlash. I'm excited to talk about this, you know, as a fellow anti-vaxxer. Yeah, oh, right. as, as a member and president of QAnon myself, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, my favorite part about this story is the irony of Shuri's character being this amazing kid scientist and then not giving a fuck about science on Twitter. Acting. <laughs> It's true. It's true. <laughs> that is good acting. Because let me tell you, Denise Richards is actually a biochemist. And that's why <laughs> um, she was believable as Dr. Christmas July. But Letitia here was doing real acting because she clearly knows not a fuck thing about science. Yeah. <laughs> is it terrible that maybe my second thought, I don't know about my first thought, but my second thought was, Deny Guerrera, can you be off book by noon? Because I was excited <laughs> about that. <laughs> Like, it's, uh, it's kind of weird that the, the rumor is she's going to be the new Black Panther, or, like, it's somewhat confirmed. I don't know. But 
the Denai Guerrero character is way more intense than somebody who would naturally lead an action franchise, correct? True, but, you know, Shiri does become Black Panther for a time in the comic books and, you know, the royal bloodline. You've seen The Crown. The bloodline. Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, it's like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but the other irony in this is that <laughs> literally two weeks ago, we were talking about COVID vaccines, you know, and um, I want to address the fact that I feel like there's a difference between being anti-vax and denying, one, the seriousness of COVID um, and what goes on in these vaccines and, like, legitimate vaccine hesitancy, you know, from um, especially black and brown people in this country who have historically been used as guinea pigs uh like i brought up the tuskegee experiments that time you know just the fact that like this country does not have a history of treating black people well um when it comes to testing vaccines um access to health care uh etc you know it's um it's the reason why aids is still a problem with the black community <laughs> in uh, the united states you know uh so I could get why some people would be hesitant. However, when you look at what's actually in this video, there is no common sense hesitancy um, with taking a <laughs> vaccine. This is a 69-minute video from the YouTube channel called On the Table, which she sent out with a praying hands emoji. Um, <laughs> it features a lengthy commentary from someone, Tomi Ariyomi, a senior leader with Light London Church. And first of all, 69 Minutes Girl, who made this video? Tati Westbrook? I was just going to say. <laughs> that's how I know she didn't watch the whole thing. Like, that's another thing is I don't think she sat there for an hour and a half. That's like almost as long as Black Panther. What? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> At least I know the people who constantly told me to watch Loose Change years ago actually watched it. <laughs> yes. Right. It's quite no, short. To finish. <laughs> if I'm watching a 69-minute video on YouTube, it's a black woman telling me how J-Lo is a hack. That's what I'm watching it for. <laughs> Nothing else. Guys, seriously, it's a whole genre on YouTube. Look it up. Oh, girl, I'm so deep. I'm about to start a channel. I'm so close. I <laughs> mean, I also love the genre of uh, Ray Sani introduced me to them. Um, there's a whole genre of videos explaining rap beefs. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh. I just, I mean, I'm just recently got put onto Jay-Z and Nas. I'm still unraveling that. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot. So there's a lot to go back and look into. Oh, that's so sweet, Aida. I know. <laughs> the 90s. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> um, but the video talks about the legitimacy of the COVID-19 vaccine, appears skeptical of climate change. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> well, we're, we're unsure and, about that one, too, by the way. You know, question mark. We always yeah. put question mark after it. Also, is transphobic. <laughs> I do not mean to laugh. That's horrible. But because the video got removed, I didn't get to see the specific transphobic nature of it. But um, I don't think Letitia saw that. I just I, I I'm gonna stand by that that she didn't finish this video. She posted it thinking that she was raising questions, which in all reality she didn't raise any questions. She just posted a video and didn't vet it and was irresponsible, wildly so. But I I. I feel sorry. I do feel sorry for Letitia. I'm not going to lie. The funniest part of the video, too, is that the video says that because we live in a world where, like, 
everyone is allowed to have a different opinion. We should actually allow people to be misinformed because they have the right to be mm. misinformed. <laughs> um, and there are dangers of the world we're entering into today where if you say a thing enough times, people will actually believe it's true, which is wild because that's what this video is doing. Um, <laughs> but on the <laughs> case of like climate change and um, the existence of trans people, uh, the video just says it doesn't. A hoax. He do, they don't believe that the biology exists for any of these things. <laughs> We're never making it out of this pandemic. We're never making it out. We're going to rot here. Letitia afterwards then saying, oh, you get canceled if you question anything. You are free to cancel anything in your spare time without posting a 70-minute video for your tons and tons of fans to witness. That defense, that line of defense of, I was just raising questions when in fact, please tell me what the question no, was. because There was you, no question. Yes, right. No one was also canceling you. People were like, girl, why did you post this video? And if the response Goody. is, I didn't watch it, then why did you post it? <laughs> <laughs> there's that, there, okay, there's also this other thing that happens to your brain when you become a Christian where you lose a lot of brain cells. Sorry, let me stop. But, um, but there was... I, I was really about to learn something from you. Yeah. No, Aida, no, but, I don't think my father, hallowed be thy name, Jesus Christ, would appreciate that. I repent, I repent, I repent. But I will say that, so there is a molecule or an enzyme in the new vaccine called luciferase. And uh, that was most of her argument, I think, is that why would we be putting anything in our body that bears the name of the devil himself? <laughs> so that is why the prayer hands were there. I do think that Letitia is a very religious person and that bleeds into her, her quote-unquote critical thinking. So okay, I just wanted but... to put that out to the world. If you've seen the TV show, Lucifer, you do want that in your body. So oh, yeah. that's oh, my argument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have to rephrase this me with now. That. I was literally about to say that. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, who would not want to look like Tom Ellis? Have you seen him without a shirt? Exactly. <laughs> give me the Lucifer enzyme, please. <laughs> and give me him. <laughs> I was up really late doom scrolling, as I always do right before we record Keep It. And there was, at 2 a.m. this morning, a, a woman in Ireland got the first Pfizer vaccine so she, so that happened and she's like 90 years old so she was sitting there like fuck it i'm gonna die anyway just put it in me let's see what happens but put um, it on me as job rule one thing <laughs> job rule also a doctor will we call that singing <laughs> moving along yeah <laughs> he rap sang he was the original drake yeah That's he had true. a husky voice he he and lauren bacall husky voiced sean <laughs> what would i be without my baby Okay. That's not bad. Yeah. That was good. What would I be without my vaccine? Anyway. True. Um, <laughs> uh, the thing about nervousness with the vaccine as well, you know, is a lot of people being concerned that they felt that it was being rushed through, um, which makes sense because as Donald Trump was losing the election, um, he continued to talk about how we were going to get a vaccine. Uh, and your brain, it makes a lot of sense to think, uh, is this nigga going to rush through a vaccine so he can try and win the election? Mm -hmm. yeah. I would not want to take anything that the Trump administration would hand over to me. Yes, but any further research and even seeing the news now, it is clear that this vaccine has been happening without his knowledge or without him having any fucking thing to do with it, as evidenced by the fact that he is 
talking about issuing executive orders so that Americans can get the COVID vaccine before anyone else. And um, Pfizer is like, um, that's not how that works. Girl, we're in Ireland. Because we offered you the vaccine <laughs> earlier. We offered you the vaccine and you were like, nah. So now you don't get it. <laughs> and I specifically said that I just wanted to see some white people taking this vaccine first, you know? And Britain is launching their mass vaccinations, and that's truly all I asked for. Some white people yeah. having this vaccine first. <laughs> now I'm good. <laughs> all right. Just even one or two people. Yeah. 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 I saw the, the old white lady got it this morning, and I'm ready. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I'm ready. But, like, I've we've talked pretty openly on this podcast, and I remember in June, especially when I talked about, you know, my brother's passing and medical discrimination in the black community, that, like, we have every reason to doubt pharmaceutical companies and every reason to doubt doctors. But if I wait about five, six months and... You know, white people are not walking around here looking like something out of zombie land. I'm ready to go. I will turn myself in and get that vaccine. I'm ready to leave the house. Right, right. And also, I mean, I want to get to London, you know? I've been watching industry, as I said, and <laughs> straight Brits are better than... American gays. Let's just put it that way. I feel that I feel that way sometimes. Well, again, I I never understand why so many straight British actors are so. It's not just charming, but like funny in a kind of sophisticated way. It's like humor is like part of the language in the way people speak English over there in a way that it is not here. We channel generally the things that go hand in hand with learning the language in America are rage. And uh, 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 uninformed opinions, <laughs> yeah, yeah. things like that. Well, yeah. we have, yeah, mm -hmm. we're like 300 years old. We barely, we're toddlers. We have no command over the English language. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. Like, why is Robert Pattinson that funny? It makes no sense to me. Mm -mm. Also, Ira, I would argue that all the straight actors in industry are actually gay. Mm. <laughs> That's the vibes they're giving me, especially that young little white boy. Oh, well. He wants his roommate so bad. Actually, I believe that my fave, um, Theo, Will Tudor, uh, the, one, the one who is having the um, down-low affair with Gus, I believe he is actually gay. Oh, I don't even know how he duped his wife into marrying him. He's giving me, he's giving me so much gay. He's giving me so much gay. <laughs> the tendrils, the, the hair, the way it falls on the forehead. You just know. Look at Lewis. <laughs> you sound like my bullies in middle school. <laughs> You know how gay hair can be? Look at Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> the funniest part about this is that Disney PR must be losing its mind. <laughs> there have been so many Marvel stars wilding out. This year. Oh, right. Letitia, Chris Pratt, and his Zoe Church that uh, doesn't support <laughs> the gay lifestyle. We talked about that shit already. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was... Uh, Gina Carano, this actress on The Mandalorian, who was making fun of people who share their pronouns in their Twitter bios, saying, I'm not against trans lives at all, but beep slash bop slash boop has zero to do with mocking trans people and everything to do with exposing the bullying mentality of the mob that has taken over the voices of many genuine causes. 
She also liked posts disparaging BLM, spreading conspiracy theories related to the election, and made fun of coronavirus mask mandates. Thank you so much. And where were the rest of the <laughs> Avengers then? Why didn't they defend her? She needed well, it. She's on the Mandalorian. That's not really. Um, <laughs> that's fair. The, that's, that's, not not their jur- that's not their jurisdiction. That's not their jurisdiction at all. You know what is so wild? I am a sci fi faggot. <laughs> and even I do not watch The Mandalorian. Oh, I watched the beginning of it. It's cute. It was really cute. It was an interesting. I mean, I wanted to get hip to the baby Yoda craze. I wanted to know what the fuck everyone was talking about. And it is a cute performance by that little CGI monster. <laughs> it really is. I do want to say it. It does seem like people have turned on Baby Yoda ever since he got a name, which I just want to say, pick your heroes wisely, kids. If, <laughs> if having a name is going to is gonna bring down the thing you love about, like, that's on you. I, I, I'm so sorry about that. You never loved it, truly. <laughs> Do you think we turned on Prince every three years? Right, no. Even when he had the album name the symbol, and we couldn't even pronounce the album, and then we went out and bought it. Yeah. The, the actor formerly known as Baby Yoda. <laughs> Uh, that album by Prince is good, by the way. I don't mean to disparage that album. You know, uh, My Name is Prince, Sexy MF, Seven, something like that. <laughs> Most of his are great, you know, um, but he does also have 600 albums, and some of them aren't. Oh, yeah. But we don't need to talk about that. The, with the albums where he's like, did you know I understand jazz? I'm like, that's fine. I just don't have to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to point out that I feel like a lot of people don't know that there's a 2015 album called Hit and Run, all one word, Phase One, which has a Rita Ora feature on it. And Prince was apparently a fan of hers. What? Which makes all the sense in the world because that's exactly the kind of light vocals woman that he would like. Totally. Remember that lady he uh, mentored, Bria Valenti? It's like sort of in the (laughs) same vein as someone like her or... um, Apollonia's and Vanities of Yore. I mean, she even he even made an album for Kim Basinger. So right, <laughs> I'm looking at it now, and Leon Le Havis was on that album too. This is the exact same brand of slightly riffing women. Princess School for light skinned women. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're back. Keep it. And we're back to our favorite segment of the episode. As usual, it is Keep It. I feel like we've got a lot of things to say Keep It to this week. So why don't we go ahead and jump off with um, Aida. You're, you're scratching your neck like, <laughs> like you're looking for a fix. Ready to bust. <laughs> um, okay, so my Keep It this week is, again, festive, but nothing short of bizarre. It's so strange. Lifetime is making a mini movie that's going to air later this this week, I believe, called A Recipe for Seduction. Wait for it. Where they have cast Mario Lopez to play Colonel Sanders in a KFC-inspired film. Um, I found out about it because Mario Lopez tweeted, Colonel Sanders is adding some sabor to the menu. Get your appetite ready. <laughs> and like, I, n- <laughs> I just don't know. I know Latino people. You disagree. Have- okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. No. I mean, Latino people ask for representation, but like, I don't think this is what they meant. <laughs> I don't think that, you know, first of all, we're ruining a historically white and racist role, which is Colonel Sanders. Like, And also mm-hmm. a small mini keep it to the spelling of the word Colonel, which is spelled like 
colonel, which makes more sense in a way. But uh, that's that's something that we have to deal with. <laughs> um, so yeah, Mario Lopez is playing a a fried chicken chef named Harlan Sanders, and I just I don't know why the fuck they're making this movie, guys. I don't know why it exists. I don't and like the 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 movie poster has Mario Lopez with like slightly aged look. He has like plaster of Paris in his hair. I don't know whatever the fuck they put in hair to make it look older and whiter. And uh, that that should be coming out, and I'm sure that nobody will be seeing it and nobody will be watching it. So <laughs> keep it to that. It is very hard spawn con in a way that I'm not used to from a TV network. Like, like, I'm not clear how much time they're giving it to it, but like the idea that we are invested enough in the character and cinematic universe of Colonel Sanders that we would tune into this does seem very strange to me. Even though I think Mario Lopez, I'm fine with him on that Saved by the Bell show. I, I, I don't love that show, but I think he handles the rat-a-tat dialogue better than expected. That said, I'm mad at him now because I too don't want to see this. There's no reason for it to exist. <laughs> he's he's never said no to a check, has he? Mm, right. Extra, never. extra. That's true. <laughs> yeah. um, also, I would much prefer to see the Popeye cinematic universe. <laughs> not not KFC. <laughs> Who likes KFC? Don't you think you're going to get like the entrepreneurial movie about the invention of the Popeye's chicken sandwich and that craze? Doesn't that seem like soon we'll get the movie about the Beanie Babies craze and soon we'll get the I think the inevitable movie is the Macarena origin story. That I think we are going to get. That's my prediction. Mm. I will not write it and I I I can't say I will be thrilled to see it, but we are going to get it. I was told there was a three-episode arc about that in Netflix's Selena series. Um, that's <laughs> oh, yeah. why people don't like it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> they said Yolanda created the Macarena. It's crazy. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> that's too bad. Louis, <laughs> uh, what's your keep it this week? Um, mini keep it to start that I just thought of. Keep it to, like basically Instagram models who I guess feel guilty for gaining a lot of followers quickly. And so they decide they need to teach how they got ripped, et cetera. And then their instructions are things like do tricep dips or push-ups or pull-ups. Girl, we are not stupid. My God, <laughs> those are the first three things you would try just casually in your own home. Or they'll, they'll say something like, make sure you get enough sleep. Do you have any advice that isn't something I could glean from the act of being a human being. Like, pl- like r- open the book. Like, please go on to an Angel Fire website devoted to exercise and teach us something from there. Anything other than these basic ass- tricep dips. Anyway, I just saw that on Instagram and I wanted to share that with you. Um, secondly, my keep it, and I am surprised to say this because uh, I thought it was going to be a thrilling movie. Keep it to Mank. For me, it is the mm. only David Fincher movie I have ever seen that was boring. I'm super surprised by it. I do think the look of the movie is amazing. It reminds me of uh, David Fincher's legendary, my favorite music video for Vogue by Madonna, which was an evocation of 40s Hollywood glamour, as this is. And there are some shots of Amanda Seyfried. Her name rhymes with rye bread. I mean to reiterate that. Um, (laughs) That remind me of the Vogue video. But although I admired the movie for being more about politics than I expected, for the most part, it was kind of a bunch of people telling Mank, you better get that screenplay done. And then he gets the screenplay done and they're like, what a wonderful screenplay, Mank. You really did it, Mank, old Mank. And it was lacking in content for me in a way that a David Fincher movie usually never is. But I believe Ira liked this movie and I would like to hear why. <laughs> I actually loved Mank. And I think that what I really loved, one, was how um, it was evocative of the era in 
how it was filmed and like the cinematography. Usually when you see a film that is set in that period, like it looks bright, it looks like plasticky. And this actually felt like I was watching um, a classic film on Turner Classic Movies, Mm. you know? And I think that the performances reflected that too. And I appreciated the fact that it was a film about old Hollywood, but it also had something to say about politics um, and something to say about the current political state that we're in. And it's interesting if you actually read the interview that he did with Mark Harrison Vulture because his uh, venture is like, I'm not a writer, I'm a director. His father wrote it, uh, his late father. And he talked about how his father had written that um, about like the um, Sinclair running for governor of California and about socialism versus uh, capitalism. Played by Bill Nye, right? Yeah. Yes, strange. Bill Nye played Upton Sinclair, which is among the crazier choices of the 21st century. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was about this politics then. And he actually talked about how um, it took forever for it to be made just because, like, people weren't really in tune with, like, the fake news of it all and the politics and the socialism conversation that was happening in it. Uh, and now they are. Uh, so I think it was just sort of like a perfect lightning in a bottle where it came back around. Um, and I don't know. I felt like it was riveting to me. I watched it late at night, too, um, stoned. And so, like, I really should have fallen asleep during this movie. <laughs> I did not. Um, and the performances are just fucking great, too. Like, I'm not a Gary Oldman fan, but he is electric in this and Amanda is the best I've ever seen her um so I I found it um really really enjoyable Amanda's performance is something that happens in the best supporting actress category a lot where one it's markedly different than all the other characters in the movie so you remember it anyway but two there's a a a specific iconic look to it in a way that like you know like Kim Basinger in uh LA Confidential or Angelica Houston in Pritzi's Honor or Gina Davis like there's a specific like belongs on a poster look to the role that makes it stand out too. That said, I kind of felt the character was a bit one note. Like she was delightful and she really turned the dialogue on its head and made you laugh in a way that other characters didn't. But I don't know that I need her to win an Oscar. I'm very happy about the nomination. She would be the second of the Mean Girls Plastic to be an Oscar nominee. And Lacey Chabert, <laughs> I, belie- I believe your time is nigh. Come on through, sweetie. <laughs> Lindsay missed out with Georgia Rule, to be honest. She had it in the bag, but <laughs> alas. Right. <laughs> it was Meryl's secret campaign. She was like, do not nominate this little girl. <laughs> I keep hearing we may still get a nomination for Meryl in The Prom or that Steven Soderbergh movie that's coming out where she plays a writer and she's with Candace Bergen and uh, Diane Weist and Lucas Hedges. I am very excited for that. So, Or the 50 other movies that she has coming out this year. Can we just say it? Meryl Streep works too much. <laughs> <laughs> and Nicole is becoming the new Meryl Streep. Can they sit down? <laughs> Allison Brie working just as much, by the way. So maybe there's some competition there. But she is not diluting the brand. True, <laughs> true, true, true. Well, my keep it this week is a couple of keep it's. The first one goes to Lewis. Oh. Because I am going to accuse you. <laughs> I'm right here. Of being the person writing Dion Warwick's tweets. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past sure. me, to be honest. But um, no. I've I've gone through a journey myself with Dionne Warwick's tweets, but go ahead. Well, so first, a few weeks ago, uh, and it's wild that I even know about this not even being on Twitter, but they crossed over to people reposting them on Instagram, and then they became news when um, 
Chance the Rapper responded to one of Dionne Warwick's tweets being shocked that she even knew who he was. Uh, and it was some funny tweet about, like, why are you called Chance the Rapper? You know, I would be like me being called, like, Dionne the Singer. And I'm coming after anyone who has the in their name, like, <laughs> The Weeknd. And The Weeknd isn't even spelled correctly. And then it became a conversation amongst people who were saying, she ain't writing these tweets. It's like, other, it's like other celebrities who are like, we'll just hire some like young person to write tweets for them. And my argument was never that I don't think Dion's funny. I think she's fucking hysterical. Uh, and we all know black elders mm. could slay on Twitter. But mm-hmm. nothing about the content of them seemed like they were coming from a woman of her age at all. So I never trusted any of them. And then she released a video saying like, this is me. You know, like, um, deal with it. And then there were so many people. It looked like a hostage video. Right. It looked like a hostage video. It looked like she was reading off a prompter. Um, And then everyone being like, how dare you accuse Dionne Warwick of not being able to be funny? Y'all need to respect Miss Dionne. Ooh, she dragged y'all, et cetera. Unfortunately, I don't know who was handling the rollout of this information because that video coincided with her doing an interview with Andy Cohen where she fully admitted that her niece does all the fucking tweets for her. So (laughs) I feel like Oprah interviewing James Fry. I don't know what is true and I don't know what to believe. Okay, here's the thing. When When the tweets started happening, one of them was very funny, which was, she goes, Thank you for telling me what a hot girl is, specifically after I told you not to. Whatever. It was very funny. But then in in one of the tweets you just referenced where she says, what's with Chance the Rapper being called the rapper? She ends the tweet by saying, I can't stop thinking about this. The voice of that is very... Twitter. It's very like mm-hmm. a young person, very online sort of thing. Like I can't, I can't get this off my mind. Yeah. Whatever. Like I, I'm preoccupied with the stupid rent thought. Free. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Yes, living rent through. Exactly. Rent that's exactly what it's like. Um, so that's when the veil was sort of lifted for me. That said, Dion is a fucking viper, and I would be very careful to voice dissent online because she is in interviews routinely quite unsparing. I love her opinion. She like once upon a time she turned down the song what the world needs now is love because she found it patronizing. And I th- always thought that was awesome. She did eventually record it, so it's not that awesome. But she is a legend and I'm happy she's around. And I'm actually happy we just get these random videos from her explaining that she really is sitting at the computer because they are saucier than the tweets themselves. Whoever, if, if it is her niece who's doing the authorship of her tweets, I really like would like her to do the set design of the videos as well because I don't want to look at that <laughs> sad, sad little Pomeranian calendar one more time. <laughs> this, this time Tiny little thing in the background. Oh, goodness. Dion, get a ring light. Dion, yeah, get right. something. <clears throat> My second shorter keep it is to Vigo Mortensen. The green bookery. <laughs> I, think that, I think that listeners will remember us going in about green book and the inconsistencies with the truth of the story, um, how Mahershala Ali's characters, um, the family IRL, you know, like did not love the film uh, and about basically it was a new version of Driving Miss Daisy and was a very lazy interpretation of race relations in America at the height of the civil rights movement. And while promoting his new movie, 
Vigo's in his feelings saying that much of the criticism that was leveled at that movie was not only unreasonable, it was inaccurate, mendacious. Okay, thesaurus. Mendacious, mm-hmm. sounding like Big Daddy in Cat on a Hot Tin mm-hmm. Roof. Uh, <laughs> and irresponsible. It's based on a load of bullshit and an axe to grind and little else. My problem with this response is that he does not specifically state which of the criticisms were unreasonable, inaccurate, mendacious, or irresponsible. So, (laughs) sir. (laughs) Pick one. Pick one. He didn't pick one at all. So it's like, are you just mad that your movie is a punchline? Right, right. That seems like what he's actually mad about. And he feels like it took away from uh, the important work that they were doing on set, I'm sure. Um, crying um, about black lives and how they matter when they're driving white men around um, (laughs) in the 60s. But there's no actual response to the criticism here. So it's just sort of like, girl, (laughs) enough. Yeah. Um, Also, I mean, most of the criticism comes from, I think, black viewers of the film. So, I mean, to specifically omit that that's where the backlash stemmed from is... Uh, problematic. So you're just mad at black people right now, and you think the responses to the movie are bullshit. Well, maybe he's still in method <laughs> playing his character. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and God, the writer of that film, oh, what an asshole he turned out to be. But um, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's the combination of it winning Best Picture but still not being respected. There's something like embarrassing about not being able to revel in the glory of a film doing that well at the mm-hmm. Oscars. You know what? Ask everybody who was involved in Crash. Precisely. They moved on. <laughs> Ludacris is a fail. DM him. Tandy is fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not worried about Tandy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sandra H- seems Paul to be doing Haggis well. Yeah. Escape Scientology. Right. His life arguably improved. Yeah. It's just having brunch with Leah Remini. L- looking for <laughs> Shelly. <laughs> <laughs> just give it a few years, Vigo. And then we can go back to the most important thing, that your name is the same as the villain in Ghostbusters 2. Yes, and by the way, that character is scary. <laughs> the painting gave me nightmares. Truly terrifying. Oh, I know. Don't be five years old when you first see that movie. It's chilling. <laughs> All right. Thanks again to Allison Bree for joining us this week. Let's keep it. Get vaccinated. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Keep It is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Caroline Reston and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III. I think I've heard of him. Our editor is Bill Lance and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroot, Nar Melkonian, and Milo Kim for production support every week. Stay safe. Be blessed. God loves you. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 